Hello everyone and welcome to the Omega Metroid Podcast from OmegaMetroid.com. My name is Andy Spiteri, joined by Duminal Crossing. Doom, how are you today, buddy? Fantastic. Uh, school semester finally over. Uh, we were really grinding there at the very end, working full-time, going to school full-time at the same time, but we're now at a much-needed break and it feels good to be back on Omega Metroid. Very, very excited for... Uh, this week's topic for sure absolutely um yeah this is uh this has been a long time coming i was really looking forward to this show um but before we get there some some kind of cool news to celebrate on this holiday monday or at least it's a holiday for me i don't think it's a holiday for you is it it is not a holiday for me but i do have the day off so i'll treat it like one there you go um the first ever major video game union has just been formed uh from the testers at activision owned raven studios so they voted 19 votes yes three votes no so we got ourselves a union kind of cool hopefully sets a little bit of a precedent i i do think it's going to set a precedent i think they we're going to see i don't know how much of a precedent but i definitely think we're going to see more of these start popping up and you know like you said it's you know when we're so used to like having bad news come up in, you know, the games industry, especially from Activision. So, you know, it's nice to finally see a pretty substantial piece of good news, in my opinion. Yep, there you go. So we'll follow that. We'll see how it, uh, you know, how it unfolds. I, I can't imagine that it will be anything other than than good. And uh, I can't imagine that this show will be anything other than good. And in fact, great, because uh, we are... Finally back with Inspired by Metroid. It feels like it's been a while, although I guess we did celebrate the uh, 25th anniversary of Symphony of the Night, which was an Inspired by Metroid. But we are back with, in my opinion, and you can disagree with me if, if you want, Doom, but I think that the game that we are covering today, which is Ori and the Blind Forest, is A, the best Inspired by Metroid game ever, B... One of the best video games that's ever been made, and see one of my favorite video games and a legitimate masterpiece. That that is how highly I think of this game. I I honestly I think that this is one of the absolute best games ever, ever. Um, and I'm talking like across all times. I'm talking across all genres. I love love Ori and the Blind Forest, and it was such a a treat to play it. So I, this is the first time that I've actually played it on, on my switch, um, which was it, man, that just felt so at home on the Nintendo switch. I played it on Xbox a bunch of times, but just being able to, Oh, to have it on that system is sitting on the couch and playing Ori was just so, so awesome. I, I, I could just ramble on forever about how fantastic I think this game is. So I am very, very, very excited to, to break this game down with you. And this was your first time ever playing Ori in the Blind Forest, Doom. Yes, yes. I uh, just finished it Sunday morning, which is uh, about a day before uh, recording this, for context of the people who are listening to this when we drop it on Tuesday. But yeah, um, first time playing the game. I don't know if I'm going to go as far as you and call it, you know, greatest game of all time, but it, this is truly like an incredible, incredible experience. And it's... You know, you might you know you might be worried because it is it is a bit of a short game, even for a Metroidvania. But like, 
Personally, I don't think a game's length should dictate its quality, and Ori, I think, is a fantastic case of that. This is truly, like, just such a wonderful, um, you know, <sighs> I don't even, you, like, you, a Pixar experience, I feel like is the is the word to use here. Uh, yeah, I, the first time I ever played Ori, the, the movie Up came to mind for me. Yep. Um, but I, I'm actually, I'm gonna push back against what you said, that it's a short experience, like, I think your average Metroidvania is probably about, like, 10 hours to get 100% completion, give or take. Uh, and I think that that's, uh, for context, I did 100% of Ori, and my time was 9.19. And I've played this game a couple times before, so it's not really that short. Um, you know, it, it's, about as, it, it's about as long as Metroid Prime, at least for me. Um, and certainly, I, I, guess I, I guess if you try to speedrun it, you could really get your time down, but... If I were to play Super Metroid and I were to play Ori, I would have a longer time in Ori. Um, but I feel like that is, again, kind of a moot point because I, I totally agree with what you said, Doom. Like, I, I think I'm at the point in my life where, like, there are all these, like, outrageous RPGs that have, like, a million... We, we kind of talked about it a few weeks ago with Xenoblade. And I really like Xenoblade, but I feel like there is a lot of artificial length to that game. Whereas I look at a game like... Uh, how about Luigi's Mansion 3 or Pikmin 3? And I'm like... These are like 20-hour games, but my god, they're fun. They, they There's no filler. It's all fun. It's a great experience, and I feel like Ori really fits that description to a T. Absolutely, 100% agree there. And, I mean, you mentioned some fantastic games there. I mean, Luigi's Mansion, my game of the year in 2019, so... I, I mean, yeah, it's right up there for me. It's one of my... When I, when I hear people say favorite Switch games, I actually always kind of think of, like, Luigi's Mansion 3, even though... I just, I don't know, I, I really love that game, but, uh, and Pikmin 3 too is an, is an awesome experience, but, yeah, I, I think that, uh, um, I don't know, I guess you could, I guess you could critique that about Ori, but, but, I mean, first of all, it's, it's cheaper than your average, um, you know, video game, you, you can buy the, the two-pack right now for, I think, like, 40 bucks or something like that, and, yeah, to me, the quality is just so is so off the charts that it is like worth the, worth its weight in gold. Now let me put it this way. I've bought Ori in the Blind Forest three times and I've bought Ori in the Will of the Wisps um, twice and I I would buy them again without without a blink of an eye. So yeah, I really love these games, um, but let's hone in on Ori in the Blind Forest specifically. And uh, I guess so we're going to talk about just kind of general first impressions and then we'll move on to some categories like gameplay and music and graphics and all that good stuff. But I just, I, I kind of remember, um, I played this game, let's see, for the first time, I want to say, pretty close to when it came out. So back in 2015, maybe I played it in 2016, and I I wasn't expecting this. I kind of bought it on a whim, and I, I had kind of heard somebody say that it was, like, pretty good. And I think I was at the point where I was like, I don't really have anything to play. Maybe I'll check out this this Ori game. I, I've heard it's good, and somebody said it was kind of like Metroid. So I was like, okay, I'll check it out. And this game, like, completely, completely took me by surprise. Like, I, I was hooked within the first 10 minutes. I, 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 my God, like, the first 10 minutes, I was, I was like an emotional wreck playing this game, but it was the first 10 minutes. And to see all the elements of this game... The gameplay, the music, the story, the pacing, it, it all comes together like so beautifully. The world is absolutely astounding, which is, which is such an important part because it's like it's got the same kind of vibe that a Metroid world does, except in my opinion, even though the game 
is, is taking place in the forest of, of Nebel, which is kind of like um, in decay. I feel like there's like such a sense of hope about this game that you don't really get in, in Metroid games. In fact, I feel like one of the great things about Metroid games is like the sense of isolation and kind of dread a lot of the times. Whereas this game, I, I feel like you have a sense of hope and like Ori is just such a, a, a likable protagonist that it, it just it creates like such an amazing atmosphere. Um, so this game really took me by surprise. Uh, and and I, I absolutely just fell head over heel, heels in love with it. Um, and, I, and I guess, you know, what, what was your experience, Doom? Because you've just played it for the first time. And I think within our Metroid community, a lot of people talk about Ori as like one of the great modern Metroidvania games. And a lot of people talk about Hollow Knight in the same breath. So I, I think that you might have had a little bit more, I don't know, higher expectations coming in. Uh, I don't know if higher expectations is the right word just because... I hold Metroid in such a high regard over literally anything else, and so I was kind of going in Ori pretty much as I would any any other game. Um, I, I had a feeling that it was going to be that it was going to be good at least. I mean it looked like a quality title. I mean, visually it looked gorgeous. Um, and of course if it's a Metroidvania experience, you know, I'm probably going to get some enjoyment out of it. But um so yeah, I knew I knew at the very least that I was going to enjoy it, but the question was how much I was going to enjoy it, and uh, thankfully, uh, very very much. Um, yeah, this um, I think the first time I dropped into one of your AM2R streams before we even decided that we were going to do an inspired by Metroid episode, I told you I was playing Ori, and yeah, that uh, that opening I, I was tutorial all over segment. You. <laughs> oh man, that opening tutorial segment. We'll we'll get into more details when we talk about the story, but man, yeah. I just oh my god, it just hits you out of nowhere when you least expect it, and it, it's just like, what? What? No, oh my no, god. you you can't do that. No, no. Yeah, it's just, and then, and that feeling, it lingers with you for the rest of the game, and it just makes the ending that much more of a payoff. Uh, oh my, yeah, we're, we're gonna talk about the story. I might struggle when we talk about the story, I'm gonna be honest, like, I, I it just gets me. I think, it, I think the story, the story connected with me so much, which is, which is a big part of why I feel like this game is such a masterpiece, um, but let, let's get there, let's talk about Let's talk about the gameplay itself and, and some of the... Well, I mean, first of all, what we should do is... Um, I mean, let's talk about, I guess, graphics, art style, kind of presentation. Uh, because that, that, I think, is the first thing that really catches the, the player's eye when you when you boot this game up. It's just like, God, it is so beautiful. This game is so beautiful. Um, and, and I think that... A lot of people, and this is my observation, you can chime in with this as well if you if you agree, but I think that a lot of people kind of talk up Ori and Hollow Knight specifically um, as like modern Metroidvania games that, that really kind of rejuvenated the genre. And I think that these two games really understand that like, it's not about how good your graphics are necessarily, but it's about the aesthetic and the presentation and they Ori and Hollow Knight have very different aesthetics. Hollow Knight's kind of creepy and, and dark and moody and Ori is kind of like beautiful and, and whimsical and hopeful. But that, I mean, that just catches the eye right away. And like, even the character of Ori just is like this, it literally a character of like shining light hope that, uh, that you immediately fall in love with. And the way that Ori moves, like the animations are, are so just, incredible um and the world is just like the the world is just so beautiful I, i'll probably just say beautiful a bunch of different times but it's just like it's so it's so visually striking 
And for a game that looks like this, I feel like I would expect a lot of kind of slowdowns um, or, or like maybe lags in gameplay. But man, it is fluid. It's swift. It, it's fast. And, and that's such a important part of why this game is so good, I think. Like, but I mean, oh my God, the, the, the art style and the, the graphics in this game are just like, man, they just, they pop right out of the screen to me. Yeah, going back to the animation, there's actually some really um, interesting things going on on there. At least um, th there's there's techniques in there that remind me of some of the stuff done in um, Into the Spider Verse, where you have it, it's not quite it's not quite to the same degree, but like in Spider Verse, you had like multiple frame rates throughout that film for specific scenes regarding about the action or like um, who, who the who the camera was framed on. And Ori right. does a lot of the same does a lot of the same things where you'll have. You know, all of the main gameplay is in 60 FPS, but in the cutscenes you'll have some elements that are still running in 60, but then some of the background elements that are in 30. And normally stuff like that would get on, would, you know, kind of like get on my nerves a little bit. But in Ori, it's, I don't think at least it's a technical limitation. It looks like a specific, a specific choice that was made by the team. And I actually think it really works in this game. Um... And it kind of subtly takes the player and puts their eyes on certain pieces of the scenery that the game wants them to without directly yeah. telling them or without putting like a big shiny light on it. It's really, really um, subtle stuff like that that I think um, just improves the game's presentation overall. And then, of course, the, the overall art style in itself, like it's so unique, I think, is the thing. Because like what I mean, what game looks like Ori? Like there's it's just Ori, <laughs> it, oh. you know, it has its own unique art style. Um, you know, and Hall and Hollow Knight too, and I think that it's not just that they're good art styles; it's because they're so unique and creative. What makes them exactly. stand out, and why people talk about them so much? Yeah, they understand like that. That is a, a crucial part of making a good Metroidvania, and I think that's why those games are so celebrated. Um, in large, I mean, there's other aspects, of course, but like that's an important part, and they really nailed it, both of them. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that Ori is just like such a God, it's such a gorgeous game. And, um, you know, I, I'm not really much of a frame rate, uh, you know, technical type of gamer. But one thing that I'm very excited for is to replay Will of the Wisps on Nintendo Switch. Because I bought Will of the Wisps, of course, day one. And um, there were a few frame rate issues with that game when it came out. And, and they were not noticeable. Noticeable even enough for a guy like me. And they were patched, I think, within a couple days, but I was such a freak for Ori that I had already 100%ed the game in a couple days. So I'm really looking forward to, like, replaying that on Switch and just, because uh, that, that, that is a game that is very much like uh, like Ori in terms of tugging on the heartstrings and, of course, builds upon the foundation that Blind Forest lays out, but, you know, that's for another day. Um, let's talk about, let's talk about this game and the gameplay. And one thing that can, I always can think I talk of, about Can I talk oh, about yeah, I'm one sorry, more? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I want to just quick one more thing about the art, and then we can move to gameplay. But yep, one of the sure. one, yeah, one of the details I absolutely love in this game, um, it actually it actually kind of reminds me of uh, Donkey Kong Country Returns and Tropical Freeze by Retro Studios, where um, in those games uh, you'd get like a little preview of the next level at the end of uh, the current level that you're on, and so they would almost the end of the last level would sink into the beginning of the next level, and there'd be kind of this little bridge, this kind of little bit of continuity there. And Ori does something kind of similar, where as you progress in the game world, you can see other worlds that you'll visit later in the background. Like, I remember, 
I think it's in um, Area 2, you can actually see the volcano from the final area. Just little details like that are so cool. You can see the Jinso tree from one of the areas after you've mm -hmm. already been to the Jinso tree. Just such cool stuff like that, which kind of uh, gives the illusion that this isn't actually a 2D plane, that this is actually like a full 3D environment, despite the fact that you're you know traveling on a 2D plane, which I think is super cool. That's a great observation, actually. Uh, and. and... I think, like, one I noticed, but I, I didn't actually, like, write down because it's so subliminal the way that it does it. Especially because, like, a Donkey Kong, you kind of, you know, you have that hard break in between levels, whereas this one is just a more seamless gameplay experience. That, yeah, that's a great observation. Um, and actually, that actually leads right into the next point that I was going to make about, uh, you know, shifting towards the gameplay of this. Because, I mean, we've talked about the presentation. We will talk about the story. All that is is, you know, amazing, but you have to have the gameplay to back it up. And man, does Ori have the gameplay to back it up. Every, almost every system that this game implements works for me. And I think that it does this because I was kind of, when I was playing it this time, I had more of like a critical eye of like, why do I like this game so much? And one of the big things for me is that Ori in the Blind Forest really focuses and prioritizes movement and momentum. And that's a big reason why, you know, we really love Metroid Dread is because the movement and momentum in that game is so like you're you're going you it feels like you're always on the move you're always kind of moving quickly and i feel like that is just like uh permeated throughout ori in the blind forest where like you you can move very quickly you can jump long distances um you you get almost every item that you get is is a momentum or movement based item um and, and that is used to help you traverse the map a little bit faster it, it's just like it's a fast-paced game which i really love and, and it's kind of like it's kind of uh nice too because that fast pace can sometimes lead you to make mistakes and die so it's like um you can you can be fast but there are times where you have to slow it down a little bit too i really like the balance that this game strikes in just keeping you on the go and, and everything else kind of revolves around that and i i think i really love how much this game prioritizes like let's get you moving let's get the player moving um i i actually I, I was playing on the Switch, and there's a few um, videos uh, in the bonus section, and it shows you kind of the uh, beta footage of the game, and that was a priority of theirs, and you could see how fast Ori was moving across the map. The map, which wasn't even designed yet, but just, like, across platforms and stuff like that. And and I think it kind of clicked to me, like, I love this so much, because, like, you're moving. You are, you know, momentum is key in this game, which I feel like is a really strong part of a good Metroidvania. Yeah, absolutely. Um, not only, um, yeah, the momentum and just the um, the feel of jumping in general, because I feel I feel like when you're doing either a platform or a Metroidvania, you need to make your jumping mechanics feel unique, but also feel not clunky at the same time, which is which yes. is excruciatingly difficult. Like, how do you make your jumps stand out, but without it making feel alienating and weird and off-putting? And I think Ori finds. A really nice balance to it where it almost has this it almost has this kind of feather like floaty like floaty like jump to it I which i think just is gonna say yeah which i think yeah. is totally appropriate for the the character and how it's portrayed and all that and also really fun to utilize once you get used to the mechanics i actually posted i don't know if you saw on my twitter a few videos of me sequence breaking uh some of the power-ups and some of the collectibles and stuff like that and there's even a few more that i didn't get a chance to record but the um, the mechanics are just so much fun to play around in this game yeah, it's it's kind of a nice mix, I feel like, of, you know, some people say that Super Metroid is kind of floaty, but I feel like it really makes sense in this game, 
So it's a nice mix of that, just like with your, I don't know, maybe more, not heavy Metroid Fusion-esque kind of style of gameplay, but I, I feel like you do have that momentum mixed with, uh, I think you described it really well, kind of like a feather-like approach, but it's still it's still grounded in a lot of different ways. So I, I And one thing too that this game does, um, which I really, really appreciate, is it gives you the double jump almost like right away. You don't have to really wait around for that. Like I know that in a lot of Castlevania games, the double jump is like a pretty important big item. So it's like typically kept towards the latter half of the game. And that's another example of, of Ori and the Blind Forest is really kind of prioritizing movement and momentum in this game is that it gives you the double jump like almost right away, like within your first hour of playing, I would say. Um, and you can level it up to have a triple jump. So like you can really get motoring if you if you want to. So yeah, the... Um, I, I think I just think that the the way that you move around, the way that the the game encourages you to to go fast and kind of be daring is is just a style that I really really love. And you know, look, we were talking about yeah, the game is like maybe a little bit short, but um, I feel like it's maybe a little bit shorter because like the gameplay itself is so fast, and that's just a really satisfying trade off for me. Yeah, you mentioned the triple jump. I actually didn't have a chance to unlock that. I leveled up I leveled up every column except for that green one. I think I needed two more of the orbs, maybe three. I can't remember right. uh, with the skill points before I fully um, upgraded that. But uh, maybe when I go back and uh, go for the 100%, I'll be able to do that. Well, actually, I want to talk about that for a quick sec, too, because I feel like, to me, um, the skill tree is, is a really really nice part of this game and, I, and like obviously we've seen skill trees before and you know we're we're all we all know what a skill tree is and, and everything like that but there's something about the way like that how ori's skill tree is so it's so like simple and so clean you know what i mean like it's it's you can prioritize um attack exploration or kind of like defense and i i feel like it's just like it's very clean it kind of encourages you to take you know, do one of each and progress and progress and progress that way. Um, there's only, like, I, I personally really like how there's only, like, the three paths. So you do have a chance to, like, go and get everything eventually. And, like, because some games will have a skill tree where, like, once you pick, I don't know, an, an option, it kind of takes away all of the other options for you because you've made that selection. And, and I, I'm one of those gamers that's like, oh, man, did I make the right choice? Did I, did I, should I have done this? So to have the ability to you know, to be able to collect everything in the skill tree fairly easily, I really love. And, and like, like I said, it is actually fairly easy, I think, to to complete the skill tree if you're kind of leveling up in the right way because you can get the ability. Like, what I do, Doom, is I always, I'll always go up the skill tree and um, unlock the ability to, for my map to show me, like, where ability cells are or where, you know, other stuff is so that I can easily trace it down and then, like, once I have that, it's like, okay, well, now I can, like, quickly power up my Spirit Flame, or now I can, you know, power up Ori so that she can breathe underwater, etc., etc. So I, I think that the skill tree is simple, it's clean, and it's easy to acquire everything, which I really appreciate. But, you know, it's also, I feel like it's also deep enough to be a fairly rewarding, too. Like, it doesn't feel shallow to me. Yeah, absolutely. Like, there's so much, um, like, there's so much meaningful upgrades in the skill tree that also doesn't feel like it's locked away or should have been, like, another item. They feel like, they feel like good measures for that. And also, um, I also like the, that there's, um, you have the difference between XP gained and ability cells. So typically in these, um, skill tree type of things, 
you just have XP. Maybe like bigger enemies will give you more XP that will that will transfer to a point once you um, go once you go full circle. But in Ori, you also have the ability points, which is basically just like, nope, here's a free additional point to point to that just if you find it on the map. And so I think having that on itself, it makes those it makes those seem really special, especially once you get to the higher levels. Because yes. each level you go, it takes more XP to get to the next level. Kind of like in a multiplayer game. And so once you find those in the map, especially like during the later parts of the game, it's just like this huge relief, especially when you're spending like, you know, three skill points on like one of the bigger items, like, you know, the uh, the super charge blast or whatever it's called. Yeah. You know what thing I love about the ability cells as well is like if you have if you have XP and you're like 70% of the way to gaining like a new point to use in your skill tree, if you find an ability cell, it'll just give you one point and you're still 70% of the way to the next point too. It's like... I hate yes. I hate games where where you find an ability cell and you're like so close it just like rounds you up to the next ability point. It's like no, I hate that. So I love that Ori does this. Yeah, it doesn't waste your time at all, which is very thankful. Yeah, and and yeah, I, I mean, I feel like you can really augment the the skill tree to get like XP and ability points quicker. Like I said, like I always use. The first upgrade I always use is like, okay, I will have that, uh, if there's a floating object, it's it's sucked towards me. So that way I can collect more XP. And then I'll have it so that, you know, stuff shows up in my map. And then I'll have it where I can see the hidden passageways and stuff in my map. So it's it's really simple system. By the way, speaking of a map, I think every Inspired by Metroid I've ever done, I, I drone on and on and on about the map. But I really do believe that, like, if you are a Metroidvania, you need a, an awesome map. And I feel like this is an awesome map. It's simple, it's clean, it it shows you your percentage right away. It's not a grid like Metroid or like Axiom Verge. It's it's more so it's not even like Metroid Dread. It feels more organic and like more like I don't know what the word I'm looking for is maybe like one big map versus like the section of Dairon or the section of Arteria or anything like that. It feels like very connected. Um, but yeah, because there isn't there isn't like any like elevators or doorways, right? You know? Yeah, yeah. It, you just you seamlessly go from one section to the next. So I feel like it's very easy to navigate, but it, it also is very like it's very just simple. Like you can clearly see like okay, here's an ability cell. Here's here's a save point. Here's a warp point. Here's a you know whatever. This is my latest checkpoint that I made. Um, so the map really holds its own. Very easy to navigate, and I know. I know that it sounds so simple, but, like, if you have a bad Metroidvania map, like, exploration is such a key part of, you know, of a Metroidvania and exploring the world and, and you know, getting that complete experience, especially for, like, a player like me that, uh, you know, I'll, I'll 100% every Metroidvania that I play. So, again, a nice, clean map is is what a game in this genre needs, and Ori definitely delivers. Again, well, I'd go farther than even the exploration, even just simple things like the uh, the general traversal, even when you're just backtracking and stuff, because that map is what you're going to be on the whole time. And so if you don't like that map, that's going to be an integral part of the gameplay. And so I think the fact that it does meant to deliver on that, I think that's a huge reason why Ori um, is so successful in both of our eyes, as well as the eyes of any of our viewers, I would imagine, who have already played the game. Have you ever met anybody that doesn't like Ori? I'm asking no, I have not. I, I haven't I have either, not. and I'm not. I'm not saying like everybody absolutely loves it like I do, but 
I, I think I've seen people say that, like, they didn't get into Ori right away, but I don't think I've ever met anyone that's been like, I don't like that game. Yeah, yeah. Kind of I, an achievement. To be, to be fair, I don't know a lot of people who've played Ori. I mean, I've, I know more people who've played Metroid than Ori, which isn't, well, which isn't yeah, a yeah, lot, Go figure. But, yeah. <laughs> but, um, all right. Let me, yeah. let me ask you about a critique that I've seen some people have of this game that I kind of disagree with, actually. But I have had some people say that this game is, at times, particularly during the escape sequences, which we'll talk about, um, but I've seen people say that this game kind of ramps up the difficulty and is punishing. And, and I don't know if I agree with that assessment, uh, mostly because, and we haven't even talked about the game's safe system yet, but... I feel like Ori is very generous with his checkpoints, but also what you can do in this game is you can create a, a save point basically anywhere. Um, now, granted, you do need not a game's currency, but you, you you need to collect like spirit energy from crystals in order to power up your you know the ability to make a save point. But I feel like the game is also very generous with giving you that energy to make save points as well. So basically, what I'm saying is that. The game itself gives you pretty, you know, pretty generous checkpoints, and you, you're, as the player, have the ability to make a save point literally wherever, as long as you're not standing right next to an enemy. So I don't know if I'm buying that punishing difficulty. Yeah, I also um, vehemently disagree with that as well. I will say the saving system, it did take um, a little bit of time for me to adjust to, just because I wasn't used to, like, creating save points. And so when I right. first started doing that, and I realized, oh man, I have to start all the way back over here. That was annoying. But once I started getting used to the fact, like, no, just keep remembering, plant the save point, plant the save point. Once I got that ingrained in my head, like, that that totally went away. The, um, the only, in regards to difficulty, the only criticism I do have, the, um, the second escape, the escape sequence from the uh, Ice Mountain, I personally wasn't a fan of that one just because... All of the color palettes are some shade of blue, light blue, and white, and they kind of all blend together. And for me personally, it was really hard to see like certain hazards breaking out, and so it took me a lot of time to get through that area just because of that color palette. I wish there was some more diversity there to make it a little bit easier to spot where hazards were so I could get them out of the way. Because if you, I mean, it's super easy to die during that escape sequence. But yeah, yeah. otherwise, other, otherwise though, I think the difficulty was just fine. Um, I mean, it's, I mean, Metroid Dread on easy mode, I think is probably harder than this game. So. Yeah, okay. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, one other critique that I've seen that I guess I actually, I don't, I don't disagree with it, but I also don't feel like it hampered the game in any way. Um, is that there's no boss battles in the, you know, the traditional sense of the word. Uh, you know, I, and there are some boss battles in Will of the Wisps, um, but there's not really any in this game. It's more so like the environment and environmental hazards and stuff like that, and certainly the escape sequences. Um, so I don't know, that that wasn't an issue to me, but I, I have seen people, you know, bring that up. And, you know, if, if that is something that you're looking for, I think that that's a valid critique, but um, it, it, it certainly didn't impact my my viewing of this game. I don't know if you feel the same, Doom. No, nah, I don't think this game really needed boss battles. You kind of have, like, these little mini-boss or, like, uh, arena fights, maybe is the better word, because sometimes you'll fight, like, multiple versions of, like, slightly buffed-up enemies. Yeah. But that's probably, like, the closest thing you'll get to, like, um, a boss fight experience. But I don't think this... I, I don't think boss fights would have benefited this game just because of how 
the combat is played out. Like, the combat, it works, it's fine, but it's also not the highlight of the game. It's very much focused on the platforming and the traversal and the puzzles. Right. Um, and, I th- and you know, I think the, you know, the game understands where its strengths are and it plays to it, and so as a result, you don't have those boss encounters, and I think for this game, that's totally fine and it works. That was the right call. Yep, I agree. Well, let's talk about uh, items and power-ups and, and all that fun stuff. Um, because you mentioned the combat, and, you know, this this obviously is a game that, you know, the number one emphasis is on momentum and exploration. But, you know, you do have, uh, it's called a spirit flame. And uh, I really like the way that this, this kind of works. So, like, you, it, it's kind of like a weird cross between, like, shooting a beam like you might in Metroid, but it, it also kind of feels like somewhat of like a melee weapon as well, because, you know, the closer you are and like, you don't really have control over where your beam goes. It kind of hones in on the enemy by itself. Um, and you can upgrade your, your spirit flame to like be stronger and shoot in twos and then shoot in fours. So it's kind of like a, a pimped out version of the spacer beam. Um, I, I really kind of like the way that this feels where it's like, like I said, kind of like a cross between ranged and 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 a melee weapon. It's it's very unique, I feel like, and and really works in terms of you know what this game is going for in terms of its combat. Where you know the the eventual end goal of the combat is to be able to dispose of enemies as quickly as you can so that you can keep moving. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if love it is the right word, but I also didn't dislike it either. I just thought, like you said, it was like really unique and made the game stand out that much more. Um, and, and again, as a result, when you're, um, when you're in fights, you're more so focused on where your position is at. You're more focused on dodging and movement, which again, plays into Ori's like focused on the mechan- the movement mechanics and whatnot. And so, uh, yeah, I think it, um, I think it works well in this game. I've heard that Will of the Wisps has more, I don't know if traditional combat elements is the right word, but I've heard that like they, they amp up the combat more in that game. So I, I I'll definitely see. Accurate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'll definitely have to compare the two once I uh, get around to Will of the Wisps. But, yeah, otherwise I mean, for this game, I think it works just fine. And and that's not to say that you don't get combat moves, because you do. Like, you get the light burst, you get the stomp, and, and these are very clearly, like, you know, made to tackle some tougher enemies. Um, but I feel like those are also, like, equally as important in exploring your environment as well. So, like, the stomp can be used to break floors well the light burst can can burst walls and stuff like that so every item in this game has like a dual purpose at least if not more than that um and and that goes for kind of all the items like the i forget what it's called but where you can um basically catapult yourself up by by you know honing in on an enemy's attack or even an enemy itself i really love that system um and just the way yeah the way that all these different items do have their uses in combat but you know they are they are also, again, playing to Ori's strengths, used to get you around in the environment a lot quicker as well. I, I will say that catapult item, that was the moment for me where Ori was like, whoa, okay, now I get what this game is trying to sell me. Like, that yeah. was like, 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 obviously, like, I was hooked on the story elements, but the gameplay, I was like, yeah, this is good. But it was once, once that you get that catapult item, that's when everything really starts to open up and that gameplay really started to shine for me and that's where i feel like uh, where all the fun sequence breaking opportunities are because you can use some crazy stuff when you're ricocheting off of enemy projectiles and back to enemies and stuff like that it's it's just it's so it's so fun like i i can't think of another game that 
that does that. And yeah, the way that you can move, the way that you can change momentum and or keep momentum and use enemies' attacks against them or use enemies themselves against them. And it also, like, you know, you can fight different enemies too that way as well because if you, you have those rolling enemies that go into you, but if you catch them and catapult them into like a spike or something, that's a cool feeling. So I, I think that that power-up in particular is really awesome. And one power-up that I didn't mention is, I, I can't remember the actual official name of it, but it's it's one of the optional power-ups, and I guess you probably wouldn't have gotten this one, but the the way that you can throw the light orbs, and again, those that doubles as you can use it as an attack, or a lot of times in, in the world, there are these hidden lanterns, and if you hit them with a light orb, a passageway will open up, and you can you can go in and explore, um, which is another really cool item. And, and maybe another really cool kind of combat-slash-exploration item is the dash, which you can acquire um, as an optional item, which again just really kind of ups their ups your momentum as this game really wants to sell you. But also you can you can charge up a dash attack as well. So there's there's a lot of like momentum based combat in this game, and you know, while combat I would say certainly isn't the focus of it, I think that the combat that Ori does offer is very true to like the the core strength of the game. Yeah, one hundred percent. Um, it's actually funny. I didn't unlock the dash, but I unlocked the um, that little air dash bonus ability in the, uh, yeah. the green section of the um, the uh, level up tiers. Yeah, I, I got that, and then I forgot that you actually had to have the dash before you could use it. It's <laughs> like ah, um, you know, I, one thing that I want to mention in this game because I feel like this could be hit or miss in different games. But man, swimming feels good in this game. Would you agree with that? Uh, can you repeat that? I you cut out for a moment on my end. Uh, I said that swimming feels good. Would you agree with that? Oh yeah, yeah. The swimming is um, yeah. The swimming. I didn't. I didn't hate it. Um, personally, my favorite swimming mechanics are probably going to be Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze. But yeah, otherwise, yeah, the swimming in this game was pretty good. I think actually the um, the way combat is handled, I think it especially works in the um in the water since I think that's what makes the swimming feel so good is you don't have to worry about narrowly dodging past enemies. You can just take, you know, you could just take them out from a distance and then, um, and then see where the uh, next patch of, um, of surface is. So you can, you know, make your play to that area. So yeah, I think it all works together like that. I, I also just absolutely love that you can, you know, if you go up the skill tree enough, you can just choose to you can unlock like the ability to have Ori be able to breathe underwater. It's 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 such a great option. And I don't think that you ever actually need that. Like I think that there are always like surface areas where you can go and get more oxygen so that you don't drown, but I, I just love that that option is there. It's it's such a clever, smart option, I feel like. Yeah, it makes yeah, it makes the um exploration a little a uh, little less tedious once you get it cuz you don't have to like stop and pause um every 20 30 seconds however mount the uh, counter yeah. is on your airtime but yeah it's it's just another example of this game like wants you to keep going wants you to keep moving use momentum so that uh that that really is a thread throughout this entire game um but we're here let's talk about it we've talked about the gameplay we've talked about the mechanics we've talked about the graphics we will talk about the music but man the thing for me that puts this game over the edge is the story and we're gonna spoil the story so if you don't want to hear it then skip ahead but uh 
I would wow. highly recommend if you haven't played Ori yet. I would highly recommend skipping this segment. FYI, yeah. I would definitely yeah. recommend. I would recommend going into this. If blind. you haven't played Ori, stop what you're doing and go play Ori in the Blind Forest. First of all, oh, you cut it's off like, my pun. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. That, that that was a fine pun. I did. I I I cut you right off. I'm sorry, buddy. Um. I was trying to think of a wisp pun, but I can't think of one. So, <laughs> all right. If, if point is, if you haven't played Ori, go and play it. By God, you're missing out if you haven't played this game. Um, but let's talk about the story. Doom. I remember playing this game. I was sitting on my couch, and like I said, I was just kind of like, ah, seems like a fun game. I've heard you know some people talk about it, and the opening started. And of course, the opening is that a a guardian of the, of the forest named Ori. Falls away from the spirit tree and is this lost, vulnerable, lonely, little... She's basically like a baby. And this giant kind of panda bear-esque looking creature named Nehru finds Ori and raises Ori as her own. And it is so sweet. This opening cutscene of them like playing together, building bridges together. I was like, my heart was soaring. And then, and then it happens... Something happens where the forest goes into decay and all of a sudden there's no more food and Nehru gives Ori the last of her food and then sits down and stops moving and Ori just kind of shrugging Nehru and she's not moving and, and Nehru has passed away. I I was in I was in like tears watching this the first time and I was in tears watching this the other day even though I knew it was coming. I literally, I'm a 34-year-old man, Doom. I was sitting there with tears in my eyes at this intro. Yeah, this whole this whole sequence, I mean, it just it gutted me, like for for lack of a better phrase. Ugh. But um it's it because it just it hits you out of nowhere. You don't see it coming. And especially because, like, you know, you mentioned, you know, mentioned um, you know, Nair gives uh gives Ori the food. So at first so at first, like, I thought that um at first, I thought they were asleep because you know you have to um, go to the other side of the map and shake the tree and get more food first. But then um, you come back, and I was expecting like, oh, okay, well, Neri's gonna wake up. But then Ori's shaking her, and it's like, oh my god, what? Excuse me, no, you're you're not allowed to do that. <laughs> I was I was crying my damn eyes out. I I'm not ashamed to admit that I. I was I had like a tear coming from my eye. I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And this is in the opening five minutes of this game. Like the opening five minutes of this game. That's what I mean. Like I was hooked. I was hooked. If this game would have had like mediocre gameplay and whatever, like I think I still would have been like, this is fantastic. Cause that that was such a powerful opening scene. And it just gets it gets more heartbreaking as as you go. Um so you find out that the spirit tree is this big kind of omnipotent being and it's presented as like this you know you know this big omnipotent being but what we find out is like the spirit tree is really kind of more like a grieving parent that isn't thinking clearly and makes mistakes because what the spirit tree does is sends out a burst of light uh throughout nebel forest looking for ori but never finds ori and as we find out later there are some dire consequences to that burst of light um, and it's, it, oh man, but before we get there, let's talk about Gumo, <laughs> my boy Gumo, who, had, oh, who also man. has such a sweet story. He's such a sweet supporting character in this game. 
So Gumo is imagine like a, a kind of a spider esque being. He's a ball with two legs, and he's the last of his kind. We find out that all of his kind has frozen to death after the forest went into decay. And Gumo initially is very hostile towards Ori, but Ori saves Gumo from being crushed under rocks. And then you see Gumo like help Ori out, and then uh, eventually, you know, eventually Gumo actually goes and saves. Nehru and and I was like uh oh god when Nehru came back to life I was just I was crying again I was pumping my fists and and uses a, a technique that I think that was Gumo uses something he had like some kind of light that he could use so he saves Nehru and then the two of them go looking for Ori my god he he was such a Gumo was so awesome and I love I love that he went in and got Nehru back oh 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 I yeah I really I really like the, um, you know, the whole way the story is. I, I gotta say, this game's environmental storytelling is so is so phenomenal. Like I remember, I remember going into that um, that ice cavern and just immediately recognizing before you know before um, what what what's the light that's with Ori? What's what's their name? Uh, scene. Scene. Sign. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. S I don't know yeah. How yeah. It. But yeah, I, I remember immediately, like, before they even say anything going in there, and just immediately recognizing it, I'm like, oh my god, that's all Gumo's people. Oh my gosh, what happened here? Oh no, does he know about this? And then scene gives the um, exposition going into it. But then you see, like, these kind of um, cutscenes, like, intermittent throughout that adventure of Gumo finding the place while you're well, well already into the... Um, deepest parts of that uh that cavern and him discovering it and his reaction it's just oh man it just it broke my heart man oh man like that just seeing that all of gubo's people were were not there anymore it's just it's it's heartbreaking it's heartbreaking to see um but i think the absolute most heartbreaking thing about this game is kuro the the, yep. the quote unquote villain of the game so so kuro is this big very scary looking owl and we learn that Kuro hates the light she hates the light and she wants to destroy the light and she actually stole the light from the spirit tree and that's why the whole forest is in decay so you know Ori's objective is to restore the light which in turn will restore the forest but we learn why Kuro hates the light and god damn this scene I get. I was sobbing. I was sobbing in this scene, man. So what happens is when the spirit tree releases its big flash of light, looking for Ori, the light unknowingly kills all of Kuro's three little babies, which is like the saddest scene that I've ever seen in my life. Kuro is flying back as fast as she can to protect her babies, but she doesn't get there in time. I have and a tear it's a in my eye right now. Oh. It's a it's also a surprisingly graphic scene, like for at least yeah. for this game, at least because usually like the deaths in this game, it's usually like again like Naru, it's falling asleep or like maybe evaporation. But like in here, like they're like they get crispy. It's like oh. very graphic for this game. I was not expecting I, that. I I, at I, all. I have a tear in my eye like right now just describing this. It, it's so emotional and and. And Kuro doesn't make it back in time, and her babies are gone. And she she looks devastated and then so angry, and that's why she steals the light. And just to see to see her do that, you completely understand. 
but you also understand why the spirit tree did what it did because he is grieving because Ori is lost. And you just think like all of this happened because a freak accident when Ori fell from the spirit tree. It's just, it's such a, I don't know. To me, it's just like the way that this life works is so random and so, but random, but everything happens for a reason and everything happens because something else happened. It's just, it's told in such a, such a great, such a great way. But I think that the coup de grace for me is at the end of the game because now we understand why the spirit tree released the batch of light. Now we understand why Kuro hates the light. Now we've seen Gumo and and his resolve in the face of you know he realizes that Ori is a friend and we know that that Nehru is is a good soul. And once Kumo resuscitates Nehru, the two of them just press on and press on and press on and they are going to find Ori no matter what. And at the end of the game, when Ori... This this scene also brings a tear to my eyes. So like, Ori is beat up. She's just... She's at the end of the rope. She's just come through that brutal escape sequence in the volcano. And she's ripe for the picking. And Kuro is about to eliminate Ori. But then you see Nehru pushing on, pushing on. And she is not going to be denied. She's going to get her baby. And... When Kuro sees this, she just she's reminded of her and her own babies, and then has a change of heart and restores the light in the spirit tree, even though it dissolves her and kills her. My God, it's such a touching scene, and and it all makes it up because Kuro had one last egg with one last baby who hatches at the end of this game, who plays a big role in Will of the Wisp, by the way. But yeah, I man, imagine because they're um on the cover art, but yeah. Oh, dude, like. The, the makeshift family that Ori and Nero and Gumo and Ku in, in the later game form is just like, it brings a tear to my eye. This story, I feel like, is so special and it's so touching. There's no dialogue needed, really. because They don't need dialogue because they tell the story so well with environmental storytelling and the facials of these characters. It's just, oh man, I, I, I really think that this is just a, a really special story. You know, talking about this, you know, you know, in person now, or not, not in person, but like out loud, you know, with my voice and, you know, exchanging ideas and stuff like that. I feel like this whole games is a commentary on grief and healthy ways to deal with grief versus unhealthy ways, because every single major character in this game or not even major character, every single character in this game is going through grief in some way. Mm -hmm. Ori, you know, Ori is grieving over Naru and trying to find her place in this world. The spirit tree is grieving the loss of Ori. Kuro is grieving, um, you know, her lost children. Kumo is grieving, you know, the loss of his people, being, you know, the last, um, the, you know, the last surviving species. And, you know, everyone goes through a character journey in some regards and them having to process that grief. And it all comes to a head in that endgame. And like you said, it's just so beautifully told and so despite how simple the story is it's such a human story and i think that's what makes this so above and beyond oh we should we should have saved the story for last i feel like i i'm getting weepy even i'm getting like, choked up now there, the the way oh. at the end it kind of it, this is maybe goofy but it almost reminded me of like lord of the rings when sam goes to frodo like i can't carry the ring but i'll carry you the way that, that, that Nehru just is, like, pushing through and pushing through and, like, she's going to get to Ori and nothing can stop her from, from getting to her baby. My God, it's just, uh, what a special story. I also just, like how, uh, it, 
if you think about it, Nero is the first person you play as in you know in that tutorial six in that tutorial sequence, and she's the final character that you finish the game as too, which I think is yeah. really a nice kind of a full circle of life there. Yeah, it's it's just it's an absolutely incredible experience. Uh, I mean, this this story might be one of my favorite ever, like in a video game, and and it's simple. It's a simple story, but it doesn't need to be anything more complicated than it is. And I think your assessment about a, it, be, it being a story about grief is, is spot on. Um, it's just, man, it's it's just, uh, it's a special story. I don't know how else to put it. it. means a lot to me. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely, it's definitely like, you know when you, know when you play a game and you finish it and you just kind of have that wow moment. That was an experience. And that, that game story was absolutely... A, a big wow experience for me it's definitely something that i'm going to be thinking about for years to come and definitely further evaluating it seeing how it applies to my own life and kind of interpreting it from there yeah Whew. well of course what what also helps this story be so phenomenal is the amazing soundtrack that accompanies it um and i'm sure that most people have heard the main theme of ori and the blind forest uh, it, it's just a, it's a beautiful, beautiful piece of music, and it's remixed a lot throughout the game. Kind of, it's remixed to be fast-paced during escape sequences, maybe slower-paced during some some sadder scenes. But the the main theme is incredibly strong, and it's it's played throughout the game in, in a lot of different ways. So, again, just a just a, an exceptional soundtrack. Um, I really love the themes for like the misty woods. Uh, because it's dark and creepy, and I actually picked this theme out as well. There's a in Thornfelt when you're underwater, the theme is like so happy and and joyful that I I picked that one out as well. So just just an absolutely incredible soundtrack. You're you're the music guy, Doom. You you know more about music than I do. What did you think? Well, I'm not gonna be able to give you like in an an advanced uh, theoretical dissection of all the music quite yet. So I haven't oh, that, you know that's I haven't okay. I haven't dug that deep into it, but um. Yeah, I absolutely really enjoyed the music and you know, like you know, you mentioned like a lot that main that main light motif is used quite a bit throughout the throughout the score. I definitely I definitely have the escape version burned into my brain because of how many times I died during those last couple of escape sequences, so that's that's permanently there forever branded into my brain. But yeah, I really like um you know, the game is you know, it uses a lot of major chords in a lot of the main, in a lot of the main areas which kind of pairs well with like the with like um the, this theme of like lightness and like this kind of the overall the overall theme of like um pro um kind of processing grief advancing your character development and kind of over you know overcoming these insurmountable odds together which i thought was really a nice thematic connection there overall right. but going going beyond that in terms of musical theory like not quite yet. I need to listen to the soundtrack a little bit more to like really see what's going on there. Yeah, I mean, just an amazing soundtrack. Uh, I I listen to it sometimes just at work. It's just uh, you know, kind of like this game. There there are highs and there are lows, and it takes you for a ride. So um, consistently, I feel like one of the the strengths of this game. I actually remember this isn't for the Blind Forest necessarily, but at the Game Awards, hearing that that theme come in when they were announcing Will of the Wisps for the first time and just getting goosebumps because I was like, is that, is that, is that, it's Ori! And just, uh, just uh, amazing, amazing theme. So 
Let's talk about some Bet- of these areas, dude. Better than Metroid Dread soundtrack. Anyways. <laughs> well, yeah, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about some of these areas. So one thing that I think that Ori does, like, exceptionally well, obviously, is the areas. And we talked about how they kind of, like, bleed into one another. But there are some areas in this game that are distinct. Three of them, in fact. And I would actually I would actually say that they kind of almost feel almost like Zelda dungeons in, in, a, in a way. But like a, a Metroid Zelda dungeon, if that makes sense. Where it's like one area that doesn't connect to anything else, but... You have to go explore and, like, complete an objective within this area. Um, And you mentioned the first one. The first area is the Jinzo tree. And this is, like, I feel like this is just such a cool, awesome area. Um, And it's kind of like a wicked area in in two stages. Because the first stage of the area is, it's kind of like, it's almost like you're playing Portal. Where, like, there are some... I mean, I guess portal is the right word. There are some portals where you go in and you fall out on the other side, and you have to use your momentum in a very, like, fun way to to advance and and go through the first half of this. And then the second half is when you get the bash technique, and that's kind of what lets you catapult off of enemies, off of, like, uh, torches, stuff like that. And they really, like, they really amp that experience up in the in the latter part of the, the, the Jinzo tree to really kind of again utilize the different ways that you use momentum Uh, this is a really great area i thought yeah i am i'm actually i thought the same thing regarding uh the zelda dungeon uh comparison so i'm glad i'm actually glad you brought that up because i wasn't the only one because typically in a metroid game you know you just have like the big area but typically the way a zelda game uh before breath of the wild was designated is you have these areas and then you'd have the dungeons in most of those areas, which were kind of like their own separate puzzles. And that's kind of how Ori handles their stuff, where you'll go into an area, but then once you unlock the the quote-unquote dungeon, it's this own little unique, like, secluded area where you, you know, it really hones in your abilities and it really focuses on those puzzles and, you know, enemy emplacements and inconvenient places and kind of putting putting those two things together. So, definitely agree with that comparison. Uh, as far as the, the Jinzo tree goes, definitely a really cool introduction to the whole concept. The um, the thing where the, the portals take you to the other side, I don't know if you've... Have you played the original arcade Mario Brothers? Not Super Mario Brothers on the on the NES, but like the arcade Mario Brothers. Oh, um, yeah, there's a course. stage based off it in Smash, but it kind of reminded me in that game because... If you go, um, if you cross the right screen, you'll reappear on the left side of the screen, and that gimmick is actually recreated in the Smash stage, and so those portals in the Jinso tree actually really reminded me of that, and so I'm curious if that, um, if it was inspired by that. Um, let's talk about the escape sequence though, because my Ooh. God, do uh, I might have a bit of a spicy take? Uh, I did, I DM'd you, I posted on my Twitter as well. Um, I think. Not even just the um, the escape sequence here, but also the finale escape sequence as well. I think these might be better than any Metroid escape sequence ever. Man, the escape sequence um, in the in that Jinzo tree blew me away. And this was after getting the you know getting the bash item and really you know again once the gameplay really started to open up for me and then putting it to use in that escape sequence was just another level. And I think the the thing that make that puts this escape on top of, you know, the typical Metroid escape sequence is that typically in a Metroid escape sequence, 
you're on a timer, but you don't actually see the danger yourself. You just see that timer, and you have to get to the end before the time runs out. In the Ori escape sequences, you see the danger that is trying to kill you. In the Jinso tree, you're about to be flooded, and you're about to be drowned to death. And it is right on your tail the whole time, and so you're constantly on this hurry as this as this rising tide is just inches away from just flushing you out. And then, you know, once you reach the end game, or even when you're in the ice mountain, even though I wasn't a fan of that, you actually see all of the obstacles that are trying to crush you or trying to get in your way or burn you to death, etc. Rather than just this timer that's telling you like, hey, you're going to die if you don't make it to the end there. And so being able yeah. to see that danger and having it play such a role, having it so close to you at all times, I think is the magic ingredient that puts these experiences these escape sequences over the top for me and uh, uh I yeah it all started with the jinzo tree yeah a very different style of escape sequence i, I think that was a very uh, astute observation because like you know in, in metroid the the danger is the is the clock and maybe some obstacles that happen to get in your way this one the danger is like literally two feet behind you so like you better move and again ori doing what ori does just momentum move go 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 and and the escape sequence uh I, I think that this might be my second favorite escape sequence uh, of the game. It's really awesome. Let's talk about the the other quote-unquote Zelda Metroid dungeon in this game, which is the Forlorn Ruins. And this, I feel like this is just a, it's such a great area. So it's like an icy area, but it doesn't use a lot of like typical ice tropes where like they're sliding stuff or like falling icebergs or stuff like that. It actually kind of, like, feels like a little bit of an amalgamation between, like, I would say Metroid, Zelda, and Mario. Obviously, Metroid for the style of game and, and the movement and stuff like that. But Mario, in that it uses some, like, kind of funky gravity effects, which obviously reminds me of Galaxy, um, in that you're walking upside down and there are, like, U-shaped passageways that you can walk on and, and your momentum carries over. Um, but also kind of Zelda in the way that it's almost like you have... A staple from the Zelda series called the Time Shift Stone, where which kind of influences the direction around that particular object. So I I really really dug the the style of this dungeon and just how it like it, it's this one is a little bit different. Like this one is one that actually kind of makes you slow down a little bit and walk with this item. So it's not your typical like go as fast as you can, but at the same time it's also asking you to like to use your like i don't know gravity i guess and do some crazy jumps and figuring that out is really fun and i think like when you finally realize that if you go to the bottom of the square and jump off you'll fall up is is such a cool moment it's, it's just like a really cool it's a really cool like uh concept and i think i would agree with you that the escape sequence here is, is the weakest of the three um but it's still really fun and like it's it's uh it's a lot of windy windy maneuvering up there but yeah I, I really love this area as well yeah the the escape sequence it's not that i it's not that i think it's a bad escape sequence it's just that for me that color palette really starts to blend together and so i find it really hard to like differentiate a lot of the hazards together and especially because even ori you know is a bright white color and so everything just kind of blends in together and i just wish that there was you know a bigger a bigger diverse color palette to make everything be able to um differentiate in that but the the actual gameplay of the escape sequence and the actual challenge of it i i thought was fine um the actual dungeon itself though i totally agree with you with the um that big aha moment where you realize the full potential of 
that uh that light stone and the gravity changing mechanics because um there's there's the one moment and i i think i think you'll know which area i'm talking about it's after it's after you go up the wall for the first time and you see those three those three flaming squares and you're trying to figure out man how do i get around this area i can't figure out and it took me like 10 or 15 minutes of like trial and error and when i finally realized that you have to jump at the opposite end and you use your gravity to carry you on to carry you on your way to the next that was just like whoa and that's and when once you have that that classic metroidvania aha moment that and then you start that's when the puzzles that's when the puzzles start getting even crazier and it's just it's so much fun it actually it reminded me you mentioned mario galaxy but it also kind of reminded me of the iron boots and twilight princess if they were done right oh and, yeah okay i could see that yeah and so I think I feel like it really like combined those two elements together into a really fun puz- puzzle solve <clears throat> puzzle solving yeah. mechanic. I choked on my own saliva there. <laughs> yeah, you're just salivating at the thought of this. Exactly. This just uh, like, man, right, I gotta talk- go back into this game. <laughs> let's talk about the third dungeon, uh, which is Mount Horu, which is the volcano that we've been referencing. Um, this is again, I really like that all these dungeons. I feel like feel very distinct. Like they all have their own like kind of. Like you could say that the first one is about like the the portals and the and the bash ability. The second one is about carrying that lightstone and using your momentum and gravity. And then this one is kind of like just a collection of almost like mini dungeons within a larger dungeon. So you go in and I think there's about six or seven different like miniature rooms which all offer like really kind of clever but compact puzzles in that you you do the puzzle in that room, you unlock uh, something and it'll stop the It'll stop the lava from flowing, allowing you to progress into another area of the volcano. Um, so, again, just like a really nice and clean um, area that, that doesn't try and replicate anything that the other areas have already done. It feels distinct. And um, I guess it feels like kind of like your your typical final area, if I'm going back to the Zelda dungeon analogy. Because, like, let's say in Ocarina of Time, when you go to Ganon's castle, there are all those like individual small areas that you have to go and complete. This one, to me, feels very much like that, which is appropriate since it's, it's you know, kind of your final area of the game. And holy, this escape sequence is bonkers. Chef's this, this, this is like, oh, like uh, it's outrageous. So you've got all of this stuff coming at you, um, and you've got Kuro that's trying to strike you down so you have to be fast, you have to be precise, and you have to be you have to be on the money with a lot of your movements because if you I think if you make even like a mistake, you can maybe recover from one mistake, but if you make two, forget about it. Um, it, it is and it's not even that long actually, but it, it kind of feels long because like you're going to die. You, you, no one will get this their first time unless they're really, really, really experienced with Ori, but I mean wow, this is. This is an escape sequence for the ages. And again, I know we've been saying it this whole this whole show, but just it it puts the strengths of Ori and the Blind Forest to the forefront of like momentum, movement, ability to progress. Like it it is hammering home what Ori is good at. Yeah, going um going more into Ori's approach of um showing the hazards, like not only does it do that, but also um, if you're taking too long to get to um, the next segment of the, of the escape, you'll actually hear um, Crow's uh, screech and scream, and that thing is terrifying. Oh my god, whoever um, whoever did the sound design for that, mad props to you. You absolutely nailed it there. 
And, um, yeah, I definitely, like, every time I heard that, when I was, like, inches away from, like, the next thing, I was just, like, I was, like, sweating bolts there. Like, come on, come on, come on. Don't want to hit KO me here. I'm, I'm so close. But, yeah. It's such... Yeah, such a good um, escape sequence. Probably my favorite rendition of the uh, of the main theme as well in this in this particular section. Like Ooh. it's just so bombastic. Yeah, it's I don't I don't even have the words for it. It's it's incredible. It's incredible. Um, all right, well, let's talk about a few other uh, let's talk about a few other areas as well that are in this game. Um, and you could you could chime in with any areas that that stood out to you, Doom. But one area that I think that you will appreciate is uh, the Soros Pass, which once you kind of get, once you get the Bash ability, which is the ability to catapult yourself, you also get Kuro's Feather, which allows you to slowly float down. This is a really cool area because a lot of it is really like that classic Donkey Kong level Bramble Blast. And the way that you, the way that you move and avoid the spikes and stuff, it's just like, it's awesome, awesome gameplay and, and awesome just environmental storytelling, again. Yeah, that whole area is just like a classic SNES-era platformer, which is just, give me more of that. I am 100% down for that. Um, I also, there's also that sequence there. I think it's I think it's just after that cutscene is revealed of um, Kuro trying to avenge her children. And there's this kind of like almost like stealth sequence where you have to like go between the pieces of cover. And again, you hear that bone chilling scream anytime you're out in the open too much. And it just it tells you like, hey, don't stand there too long. That You're going to have a bad time if you do that. And yeah, it's I, tense. Um... <laughs> it's tense because like you got I mean, you got to move fast because you only have about three, five seconds. And once Kuro sees you for her swooping in and, you know, eating Ori for lunch um, and if you do make cover, it's like, okay, get my bearings, get my bearings. How am I going to do this? Go. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. And then um, they'll start what? like putting, and then they'll start like putting enemies in, in the way of your path that you have to like, that you have to like take out for getting oh. to the next area. Or there's that one where you have, there's that spider that drops the bombs and you have to like position the spider just right. So that it drops the bomb onto the breakable wall that can only be breaking by those, but just stuff like that. And it just so much, um, so much anxiety during that sequence. But fun nonetheless. Uh, another area that that has always stood out to me, one that I really loved, was the Misty Woods, which again feels very Zelda-like. It feels a lot like the Lost Woods in 100%. Zelda games, because like the and I, and I think that they weren't really trying to hide that uh, inspiration. You know, they're calling it the Misty Woods. They might as well just call it the Lost Woods. But uh, the way that the terrain kind of changes and shifts as you go in and you know the it's it's a it's a flat surface if you look at the map but it's kind of weaving and twisting as you're actually in it until you finally settle it down and are able to explore it fully this is a very cool area i thought and the i think i mentioned earlier but the music here is awesome oh yeah this this is definitely like probably i think up there with the final escape sequence and getting the bash for the first time i think this is like one of the big highlights of the game for me i absolutely just the oh, the whole atmosphere of the area it's so creepy isn't the right word but it just feels so brooding i feel like is the right word for it and it just i just i love i just love the uh i'm going to use a very professional word here the vibes that this area uh produces but it's it's kind of like that sense of like illusion that can creep you out right like what what i'm seeing isn't real and and i think that that area really sells that in a in an effective way um it's kind of like, 
it's it's almost like this is kind of maybe an extreme comparison, but like when you're playing Arkham and uh, you're in a scarecrow sequence, how that can kind of, kind of change and twist as you're going as well. Uh, there's probably not that same sense of danger, although. Sometimes you know now that I say it. Sometimes when you're in those Kuro escape sequences, it kind of feels like that. I was I was about to say the Kuro escape <laughs> sequences feel yeah. a lot like the uh, Scarecrow sequences in Asylum for sure. Yeah, but yeah, just just that that similar way that the terrain can change in, in unexpected ways. I think it does it really well. Um, another area, actually, the last area that I'll bring up because we could probably just go on forever, but. And this one is Actually, one that you have not can I, done can yet, I, Doom. Can I bring can I bring one more short comparison up before we go oh, there? Oh, of course. Of the course. changing terrain it actually um the changing terrain specifically reminded me of Metroid 2 in that where you have to complete a certain objective and then you'll hear an audio cue. Um and we're talking you know the what? original Metroid yeah. 2, not Samus Returns. You'll hear an audio yeah. cue and then you'll go back and you see that there's a new path open and you go and do that. Except in this case instead of killing Metroids, you're um, either killing a regular enemy or you're collecting a specific item, et cetera, et cetera. Good comparison. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. That's a great comparison. And it kind of changes, too, because you have to lug that orb on your way back as well, which is yep. uh, uh, kind of dicey when you're in that narrow passageway and there's those green things shooting at you. But, uh, yeah, let's talk about the last area. Uh, you got to go and do this, Doom, because this is maybe the most, I don't know, complete area of the game, and that is the Blackroot Burrows, which is kind of like an optional hidden area and it's divided into two parts and the first part you mentioned earlier like everything is dark and it's another one of the ones where like the game does decide to slow you down because Ori has to carry a light orb and use her ability to to kind of traverse these like special I don't know what you'd call them light orb bridges almost in order to finally get that thing back it's a lot of like really exceptional platforming here um, and once you get that, you can go to the bottom half of the burrows, which really kind of puts everything that everything that you've learned, this game puts into test in the bottom half of the burrows. And you and you get the optional dash ability, you get the light throw ability, and and as an added bonus, there's some story elements down there as well where you can learn a little bit more about Nehru. So Ooh. it's just a it's a complete complete area. Really challenging, uh, really challenging platforming wise. Really challenging momentum wise. But the payoff, I feel like, with the abilities and and the story, is exceptional. I I might just do that then before I start a uh, Will of the Wisps because I'm definitely down for some uh, some more narrow lore. Every oh day. yeah, you you got it. You got a hundred percent. I feel like Ori in the Blind Forest definitely worth it. Um, I'm definitely down for that. Yeah, because I because I found the area during my playthrough, but I figured like, oh, you know what? probably it's really dark there's probably like an item that i need to traverse this later i'll just i'll just wait for the game to naturally put me in that direction uh, and then it right. did not do that <laughs> so um yeah I, i'll definitely I think revisit that it all you need is the bash ability i think you need the ability to climb up walls although i could be mistaken and i think that's it i think other other than that you're ready to go yeah, I, I definitely found this before I got the uh, the climbing ability. I think I found it when um, right after the bash ability because you kind of the game kind of naturally like puts you back in that area to like get you. Um, right. I think I think to the um I think to that canyon area. I think that's where it naturally puts you back through the first area, and then and then I was kind of just doing some item sweeping that, and I just kind of found it during there. But mm -hmm. yeah, I'll definitely definitely revisit that place because it sounds very interesting. Right. Um, so yeah, and actually, uh, I guess that this area is included in the definitive edition. I, I didn't know that. I guess I have only played the definitive edition, so that just, uh, 
that seemed like an area that was always there for me. But, um, yeah, I mean, we could talk about every area in this game. We could talk about the story for forever. Uh, I mean, we, we've talked for a long time about this game and, and how I, I think... Like, I think that this game is, like... And I don't use this word very often. But I think that this game is a masterpiece. I honestly do. Like, I, I think that you look at the gameplay, it's exceptional. You look at the music, it's exceptional. The graphics, it's beautiful. The world is incredible. The story is one of the best I've ever seen. I I, I, I mean, I really think, like, this, this game is a masterpiece. Like, it is so awesome. I was so much looking forward to playing this for this, for this podcast and... Not that I needed a reason to play Ori, but I, yeah, I just, I was so excited to, to replay it and revisit that world, and I can't wait to play Will of the Wisps again, which we'll cover on a on a show in the future sometime, but, I mean, yeah, what a, what an incredible, incredible achievement of a video game. Yeah, like, I, um, I, I obviously, we've both loved the game, we've been gushing about it all, um, all day, but... Um, while I don't think it hit me quite the same as it as it hit you, um, yeah, I also think masterpiece is a fair word to describe it in my opinion. Because like, when I think of masterpiece, I think you know little to no flaws, or if there are flaws, they're not super in major flaws that like really inhibit the overall flow of the game. You know, you know we've been talking about Ori all day. We've had plenty of chances to levy criticism and. I struggle to find much criticism with this game. Again, my biggest criticism yeah. is that second escape sequence where I think a lot of the colors blend together, but you take that away and it's, I mean, what else can I say about this game? It's phenomenal. It's dirt cheap. And there's absolutely no reason that you should not play it if you already haven't. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, and it's on switch. It's on Xbox. I'm pretty sure it's on steam. So it is available almost anywhere that you can think of to play. Um, I, I think if you have not played this game, you owe it to yourself to play it. Um, not only is it a, an incredible inspired by Metroid title, it's just an incredible title. And you should, you know, you should absolutely play it. Um, if the story connected with you, even a, a, a fraction of how it connected with me, it's going to be a favorite of yours, guaranteed. So, there we go. That is inspired by Metroid. And that was a lot of fun. And uh, we're going to keep the hits coming. Next week, we have got the definitive ranking of a should we reveal what metroid game we're doing or should we no let, let's sit in suspense let's let's keep it a surprise however i will say we did drop the name of the title at some point in the podcast so uh if you really want to you really want to dig in there maybe you can uh, figure it out for yourselves did we mention federation force this podcast uh yeah we have federation force uh <laughs> uh game of the right, year well, every year here, here's a spoiler it's not federation force thank god but we <laughs> uh, we will have to do that eventually but uh next week is not that time uh, but yeah tune in definitive ranking returns next week and of course this week was the return of inspired by metroid so we are we're ramping up the hits um that is going to do it for us this week we are going to get out of here. Of course, I want to encourage you guys to check out OmegaMetroid.com and Omega Metroid over on Patreon, where you can subscribe and get tons of bonus shows and bonus content. Um, and check us out over on Twitter, at OmegaMetroidPod, at Spateri316, at DuminalCross. Uh, we will see everybody next week for the definitive ranking. Until then, take care. <laughs>